Hey guys, on today's episode, we talk to Kia from Raising Cultures. I am sure if you are at all connected to the foster adoption space, you have heard of her. If you haven't, go on Facebook and look up Raising Cultures. She has over 60,000 followers. She has been asked to come on and appeared on the Kelly Clarkson show. And she's really gone viral for her views on racism in this space. Uh, because she's experienced racism herself because she is a black mama that has adopted a little white baby who is so cute. So you guys can go on Raising Cultures on Facebook and watch her videos of her little baby Princeton, aka Boozy. She is also a therapist herself. So she knows about attachment and mental health and what these children need, okay? And she's offering this safe space for anyone to ask questions. You know, race is a difficult topic and we don't really know when to ask questions or if it'll be offensive. So she offers this safe space for anyone to ask questions about biracial adoption, transracial adoption. At the end of the day, she says, we are parents, you know? We are mamas out there trying to do this work in that The foster adopted community is really thick as thieves and really supportive of one another. So this is just a great place that you can go. We can start breaking down some of these barriers that we have that are so obvious with her experience. So I'm going to let you guys listen to her. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma. From foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids, and beyond, we'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on this podcast. I know that you have probably get requests all the time. You guys have kind of had a storm of uh, media and stuff. It's been wow, but it's been great. It's been great. That's awesome. So um, if you could tell, tell everyone who you are for people that don't know, I can't imagine there's many people in the foster adoption world that don't know who you are, but if you could tell everyone who you are and kind of how you got started in foster adoption. Yes. Okay. So my name is Kia Jones Baldwin. I am a foster parent, um, and I'm also an adoptive mother to three beautiful children. I have a biological daughter um, who's 16, and when she was around seven or eight years old, she was the only child, and she was like, Mom, I want a sister. I want a brother, you know, and I'm like, oh, we've been trying, (laughs) but, you know, me and my husband were um, unable to, you know, unfortunately have children, and we tried, you know, in vitro and, you know, all these fertility doctors and everything and, you know, nothing just, you know, panned out for us in that area. And so, you know, it led us to foster care and ultimately, ultimately led us to adoption. And, you know, we're so thankful that it did um, because, you know, like I said, we were able to be blessed with our three um, beautiful children. That is so awesome. Now, I know, I think I know that your first placement was actually your biological daughter's friend. Yes. Is that true? Yes. 
Um, now, so were you, did that happen before or after you started down the foster care path? Um, that actually happened before. Um, they were in the sixth grade and um, she, she needed a ride to a chorus concert and Zaria volunteered us. And she said, mom, I told a friend that you would take her with us to the chorus concert. And I'm like, oh, really? You did. <laughs> and so, you know, Carly came over and I, I guess it's been five years and she's still going to chorus concerts with us, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, she her her mom had, you know, kind of fell on hard times at that point And, um, you know, just she needed a, a little bit of assistance and. And then, you know, we were able to get guardianship of her and it's, it's been, it's been great. I really didn't think that, you know, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that I, you know, my heart would be able to love, you know, another child as much as I love my biological daughter. And I didn't want to change any child um, through foster care. You know, they, they, sometimes they've been through enough and, you know, um, I just wanted to make sure that I was capable of, of loving. And, you know, I know that it sounds kind of weird or strange, but, you know, that was just the question that I had, like, you know, I don't, can I love a biological, you know, a child like I love my biological daughter? I didn't know. Um, but Carly mm -hmm. came in and changed all of that. <laughs> and, um, and so we, we started down the, the road of fostering because my, my husband I always joked that he got jealous that he was outnumbered in the house <laughs> <laughs> and wanted to get some boys down in there. And so, yeah, it, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a roller coaster, but it's been fun. I like that you bring up that you had the question, you know, can I, some biological parents question, can I love my second biological child as much as I love my first? And so it's very fair that you would question, could I love a non-biological child as much as my biological? And I think that's a really natural thing. And I'm so glad that, I mean, it really sounds like through your infertility journey and through your daughter, um, having your adopted daughter come along that God really had these plans for you. Yes. And we are, we are so grateful. Um, you know, I think that when we try to do things our way, it just don't ever pan out. But when we follow, you know, the, the, the divine order that God has for us, it always works out. Um, and a lot of people, you know, I always get the question, well, you know, why didn't you adopt a black child? Or, you know, it's a lot of black children in foster care who need, you know, loving, black parents and you know and you know I always say well I can only get the, the children that God sent me you know um, mm -hmm. we fostered black children um, and luckily you know they were able to be reunified with their birth families which is the, the points of foster care you know that's that's the essence of what foster care is you stand in the gap for children while their their families are getting themselves you know their parents are getting themselves together and then hopefully they'll be able to be reunited with their families. And when right. that don't happen, you know, then you can follow the protocol of adoption and all of that. And my children that I have, they didn't have that opportunity to, to be reunited with their birth families. And so, you know, I, I can't imagine bringing a baby home, whether, whether white or black or Hispanic or Chinese or whatever, and having them from birth. And then two years later, we find out, oh, now they can be adopted. And I say, oh, well, they're not black, you know, so just put them back in foster care and I'll wait on a black child. Like that would, like, no, I would have never, me and my husband could, we could have never, I mean, at that point we, we loved our son whom we had since birth, you know. 
Well, and people would have all sorts of say things to say about you if you did that too. I mean, it seems like no matter what you do. Now, do you get that feedback from everyone or is that typically white people saying, why wouldn't you stick with a black kid or black people saying that? Like, who do you get that from? Yeah, now mostly, um, you know, I do get it from within my community, within African-American um, communities saying, you know, well, why didn't you adopt the black child or, you know, black children need that love and support as well. And, and, you know, and I hear all those questions from within my own community on the outside of my community is more like, you know, like the nerve of you to even think that you can take this white child and raise this white child, you know, um, they would be better off with a white family, you know, he would be better off with the white family and, you know, all of, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you kidnapped the child or, you know, those are the type of things that I get on the outside of the, you know, my, of the African American community. But, you know, we've learned to kind of just roll with the punches because, you know, my baby's here to stay. He's not going anywhere, you know? <laughs> right. And, I, and I'm sure the people speaking up saying those things are currently opening their homes to multiple foster kids. Right. Probably not. But yeah, it's not. <laughs> Exactly. It's always like that. You know, the ones that are doing the most talking is not nowhere near being a foster or an adoptive parent for that matter. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's tough. So I know you have a son, Aiden. Yeah. Um, so tell us about Aiden and how he came into your life. Aiden. Oh my gosh. Aiden is, I always call him my brilliant son. Um, and I probably shouldn't have, shouldn't say this, but when he was younger, I always like, he is the smartest kid I know. Like we've had him since he was three years old and he was just so like smart and wise beyond his years. And, um, and my daughters would be like, Hey, like, you know, we're, um, you know, I'm smart, right, mom? You know, and I'm like, yeah, you are, but Aiden's just so smart. He's smarter. No, you know. And, um, but he, he came in, um, and he has siblings, and they were all, they, his siblings are adopted in another foster, um, to another family, and he got adopted to our family. Um, but he was having a lot of difficulty. And, um, it was supposed to be a short term, you know, started out as like a respite situation, and it turned into, you know, permanent placement and then adoption. And he's nine now and he's, you know, ha has made a complete turnaround. He is such a, you know, loving and caring child. And I'm glad that he came along first before Princeton um, because he's such a good brother to his baby brother. <laughs> That's awesome. So, other children that you foster, they come in and you're all about reunification. I know that that's the, I know that that's the um, goal of the state, right? And probably should just be the goal for children to be with their biological right. parent. So, but do you find that if children come up for adoption in your care, is that usually the trajectory that they take? <laughs> well, if kids typically come up for adoption um, in our care, they're they already know that we're always going to be <laughs> like, we know that you guys probably want to. <laughs> we're like, yeah, you know, it just, it just seems right. Um, but they always look for like family members of the birth family that'll be willing to, you know, adopt first a, a grandparent or, you know, an aunt or an uncle. Um, and then if that don't pan out, then the, the foster parent who's, you know, they want to keep them connected to 
the person that they've been with for the longest time. And, um, and the foster care system, like they do not care about, you know, like color, gender, ethnicity here. Like they care absolutely zero about that because, you know, they give us a questionnaire and like, you know, what do you prefer? And, you know, all these things. And I put girl down like 20 times and they've never given me a girl. And I always joke with them like, oh, y'all only send me boys. So I just, I'm just not going to fill it out ever again. <laughs> maybe your, maybe your husband went behind you and, and white out your, uh, <laughs> your answer. <laughs> I'm thinking you're right. I'm thinking that you're right. I have to check with him. Like, hmm. <laughs> No, but that's, it's interesting because there's such a need yeah. that really preferences don't matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. It does. It just does not matter. Um, and as it shouldn't, you know, I, and yeah. I know that everybody has to, to make the choices uh, that's going to be best for their families. Um, but I feel like when you sign up to do something like that, then, you know, you, why, why would you put a stipulation on us? something that you're signing up to, to provide help and assistance for, you know, um, if you go through private adoption, you know, that's your, you know, that's your own, pre you know, you went through private adoption, you specifically know what you want and what you're going to get in foster care. Like somebody can come in in the middle of the night and they just need a home to go to right quick. And then they're just going to call you up and say, Hey, you know, we have this, this boy and he's, you know, and you have the option to say no, but you know, why wouldn't you try to at least give it a shot? Well, it's interesting you say that because I say all the time to, I do advocate that people, or at least let people know that they can set boundaries, that it's not like the state's going to call you tomorrow and you have to take a kid right. and they're just going to bring a kid to your house, that they can choose at some point. But I love that you say that because usually the reasons why we don't want X, Y, and Z are assumptions that we've come up that might not be based on fact anyway. Right. We don't know. Each kid's different. and a lot of people that I talked to that are in the foster adoption world, it was all like a God thing or it was a calling. So at some point when you let that control go and you see how things are, but I totally get it. I mean, I get um, having to do what's right for your family and, mm -hmm. you know, make those choices as they come up. But like you said, even if you put the preferences down, you'll probably get a call for somebody that's outside of those preferences. And then you'll have to make it. Yes, because it's always based on need. It's always based on need first. Yeah, so tell me about Princeton. I know his uh, nickname is Boozy. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> tell me about him and how he came into your care. Yeah, so Princeton, yeah, we are, aka Boosie. He is, um, he's a toddler in every sense of the word. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like, oh gosh, like the saying, pray for the moms with toddlers. Like, I said, please. <laughs> um, but we we got a call from our foster care supervisor about a little girl. Um, she was six months old, and she said, "Hey, you know, can you guys take a, a little girl?" And I'm like, "Sure, finally, yes, you know." Um, and she said, uh, "She'll probably be, you know, we'll probably need you in about three hours." I said, "Okay." I called my mom. I'm like, Mama Wendy, we got to go and get all this stuff for this little girl to be prepared. And we're in Walmart. I get a call and I'm like, oh, it's my foster care supervisor. Oh, we need to hurry up. She said, um, about that little girl, uh, we don't think so. And I was like, okay, well, what happened? And she said, we think you'll be better prepared 
you know, um, you know, better um, paired with another kid and he's in NICU. And I said, oh, so he, okay. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay. She said, no, you know, I think that this is something that you, you know, you, you can do. And he's just a few days old and we need you to go down there and do skin to skin with him. And I'm like, okay, then sure. I get down there and I'm, you know, I'm looking in the NICU and I'm scrubbed up and putting on all the stuff and I'm asking the nurse, I'm like, hey, uh, which baby? And I see all these like brown babies in there. And she's like, oh, the little white baby over there in the corner. And I was like, oh, him, are you sure? She's like, yeah, that's the one. And I was like, okay. And he was like one and a half pounds and he was so tiny. And then like, I like started doing skin to skin with him and it was like an instant connection. Like he, like, I can't even describe it. It was like indescribable feeling. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like this is my baby. Even though I knew it wasn't. And I was like, you know, oh, his parents are going to just want him back. And then I'm going to just be like, oh no, can I still be connected in some way? Um, And his dad was really great. His bio dad, um, he he was really great. And, you know, um, he was, we was all going through the steps together. He was just young, you know, um, age-wise he was like 16 or 17 at the time uh-huh. and you know and so he was just like if I had if I if I can choose I want you to to be the mom to my son and I was like oh gosh yes I will be the mom to your son <laughs> and so you know um he ended up just pretty much signing over his rights at that point and okay and he was 11 months old okay. it still took a year and a half for us to adopt <laughs> Did he, was he the only one with rights or they had to go through and terminate mom's rights? Yeah. Mom's rights were terminated early on though. Her rights was terminated pretty early. Mm -hmm. And what was their um, drug use or what, what was he in NICU for? Well, you know, I always like to tell people, you know, like that's his story, you know, like one day he'll tell it and, you know, I try to try to be respectful to my kids in that way. Um, But, you know, there have been stories circulating um in on social media about him being in NICU for substance use um and things like that so um I that's the extent that you know I can I will say but I'll let him hopefully one day he'll he'll be able to meet his birth mom and they'll be able to talk about you know those things and I love that I love that you respect that that's a beautiful answer um so you talked a little bit about some of the racism that you've endured having a white baby in your care, (laughs) Um, simply having a white baby in your presence. Um, And I'd like to know more about that. Like what were the experiences that you had and, you know, how did that impact you? Well, you know, when, when I found out, at the hospital that he was, uh, of course, Caucasian. I immediately, after um, leaving the hospital, I got in the car and I called my mom and I said, mom, I said, the baby is white. (laughs) And she was like, he's white. I was like, yes, he is. He is white. (laughs) And so she was like, okay, you know, Um, and I was like, you know, make sure you tell my daddy and, you know, get everybody on board. Uh, I think that people kind of misunderstand or they don't, everybody has these, these prejudices and biases and stereotypes within their own family. And they, they talk around the table. 
my family is no different from somebody else's family that's going to be talking around the table and, you know, passing on stereotypes about one culture or one race and um, based on the experiences that, that you may have had. And so, you know, I know my family, you know, and I'm like, I mean, hey, you should know your family. And at that point, I'm like, look, whoever's not going to be on the bandwagon, then you know, hey, we, we're not going to be able to see you until, A, this baby gets <laughs> reunified with his family or until you decide to come around because it's a new day, it's a new dawn. You know, you're just going to have to get used to it. Um, I've always been, my mom and dad has always, my dad has had personal experiences himself with racism. And he's always taught us that those are just individual experiences. Um, you can't punish an entire race of people for something that you've experienced from one person, you know? Um, and so that's how I live my life. I can't hold fire, hold someone over the fire for something that, that they didn't even do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, when I, when me and my family are out in public and we get those stares, are you the babysitter or we're going to call 911? No, you can't leave this restaurant. Um, you know, I'm like, no, you're kidnapping me right now. <laughs> you know, like it's the other way around. Like you're, you're saying I'm kidnapping my son, but you're actually holding us hostage, ma'am or sir, you know? Um, and you know, we can't, when he was an infant, we could barely go anywhere without being harassed or, mm. you know, um, with the police, we had to carry his paperwork. Um, it, it was, we were at a amusement park one time and, and we were barely about, almost got like, kicked out of the amusement park because like I had made a huge scene only because she thought that I was trying to like stick my infant down in, um, in like my book bag and try to run out the, the park with him. And I'm like, what? Like I ha I have to have my paperwork and I shouldn't have to have my paperwork proven that my son is my son, but I do know the times that we're in. Um, and it's just not, it's not um, as prevalent as it is with, you know, Caucasian families and, you know, no one kind of bats an eye when they see a Caucasian family with, you know, um, black children. You know, it's just something that we've always seen in society. You know, it's it, it's very normalized and, it you know, um, the, the kid doesn't look like they're in danger or whatever. Um, but even though my son doesn't look like he's in danger, they assume that he is <laughs> because he's white and we're black. That's so sad. And even, you know, it's really interesting to me that, you know, even you were kind of surprised that it was the white baby in the NICU. Um, whereas maybe a white family wouldn't be so surprised. They were like, okay, I'm here to foster. So, and even you going home and having to, you know, prepare your family. I recently had a white family on that said um, that was something they had to deal with their real old school grandma. Like they had to be like, we're bringing a black baby home. And like, you have to, we're not going to let anything discriminatory go down in our household. So are you in or are you out? Right. And they said that, you know, grandma ended up like really sticking up and loving on this baby, which was awesome. <laughs> but um, it, it's very interesting to me and neat to see that it's just kind of the same process mm -hmm. um, with different people's, you know, implicit bias mm -hmm. uh, that we all have. Um, so why do you think, you know, we've, we've come far in some aspects and we haven't come far at all in other aspects? Yeah, I know. So, I mean, why do you think it's so okay 
for us to see a white family with a black baby. And we just can't wrap our heads around, oh, this must be a foster mom or an adoptive mom for a black family with a white baby. Well, I think that, you know, I, I had a, a conversation with, um, with a white mom in, in this group and she has a, a African-American son and, and we were in a foster care group together. Um, and, and we had this conversation and I really do think that it, it started back like in slavery. Like we've always, it's all where, you know, it's, it, even with celebrities where they adopt from another country and, you know, it, it's, it's very normalized and, you know, all of these things, it just, it, it looks like it's their saviors and they're not, they, they always, you know, white moms always say, I'm not the savior. People just think that, and I'm not trying to run in and save anybody. I just want a kid. And that's how I feel. Like I just want my kid. Um, and I think if, if they can understand from a, an adoptive mom's perspective, forget about black and white, forget about, you know, any of the other things. We're just trying to be moms to the children that God has intended for us to 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 love on and care for. Um, and so while they get, oh, they just trying to save those kids from a situation and give them white privilege, and, you know, um, try to get them away from the black community and, you know, all these things. They still look at it as, oh, but they're in a better situation. Whereas in my own, on the opposite end, it's like, um, okay, well, you might be a, a, a therapist and your husband might be a police officer, but he's still not in a better situation because you're still considered a second class citizen. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I've heard that, um, you know, uh, what about his white privilege? Oh, he's going to get beat up. He can walk in a restaurant. They're going to assume that he's by himself and he's trying to bring y'all along. I'm like, what, like, like who sits and think about these things, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, that's not cool. You know, um, we're, we're just all, all of us are just moms trying to love our children, you know? And I don't, mm -hmm. and I, and I've even had these conversations with my friends, um, who have a different opinion. And I'm like, unless you're in the, in our shoes, as an adoptive mom or a foster mom, then really, you don't, you don't really, you don't really know. Um, you just, you're just assuming, you know, and you don't really get to have an opinion. Okay. I mean, I know everybody thinks exactly. they do. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. So I know this is like a very big loaded question, but I, I, I want to ask you, so what do you think, like, are we moving in the right direction? And what do you think it will take for the world to become a bit more accepting of biracial, transracial adoption, specifically, you know, anybody, it, it really does seem more of a black and white thing. I mean, I think that, you know, a Chinese family wouldn't get as much, you know, it, it wouldn't be, um, as offensive or whatever. So I feel like it's really, more of a black and white mm -hmm. thing than other races particularly. So what do you think it's going to take for, for the world to, be, to soften a little bit? No. You know, I, um, surprisingly, since I have been on raising cultures and, and I've gotten a lot of feedback from, uh, other moms, it, it's, I'm like, I feel like at first I felt like I was the only parent with the white child. Like me and my husband, 
but it's it's several families that I'm learning about that have also, you know, African-American families that have also adopted, um, you know, white children. And so it's not, while it's rare, it's not like extremely rare, but the difference is no one is just willing to talk about it because of the, the, um, the backlash that, that they've gotten from it or, you know, the looks and the stares and they, you know, you just don't really want to stir the pot and you don't want your children to be, you, we try to protect our children at all costs and we don't, I'm the type of person like, um, now, uh, look at my four kids. Uh, y'all gonna be okay. Your mama got you, your daddy got you. Cause I'm getting ready to have to talk about this. <laughs> like, you know, I'm more of like, um, this is my family. If you don't want to look at them, you can close your eyes. We're going to talk about racism. We're going to talk about biases, discrimination, stereotypes from all angles. You know, because I don't just have a black child. I have biracial children. I have a white child. I, I got to make sure that we're all inclusive. You know, I don't I don't want the world to continue to think that it's OK to um, see a family and assume that they're not a part of our family. No, you know, it's certain things. You, you're just not going to continue to walk up to my family and say, hey, are they kidnapped? My son is two. When he's five, he may not, he don't recognize that he's adopted right now. I don't want you to tell him that he's adopted. That's my job. You know, that's my husband's job for us to, you know, if you're walking up and like, hey, well, he, is he kidnapped? And my son like, what is that, mom? You know, let us tell our son, you know, about his story and all of the things, because right now, you know, he's two. We don't know if he even in the world good. <laughs> um, but I no, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, their their concern for your child ends up being, you know, hateful language that he has to protect himself mm -hmm. against, or feel like he needs to protect you against, or makes him question his space in this world. So it's like as much as they think that they might be, you know, being protective or helping a child, they're doing the absolute opposite. Right. Right. And I think that we just have to talk about it like adults um, and, and just have effective communication about it. Like not get upset, you know, like, like what you would do with your home girl. Like, you know, we have a disagreement and then we're going to go eat lunch later. Okay. I mean, you know, we can have disagreements and then we can understand where each other are coming from and then hopefully learn from it and then move in a different direction and, and just effect change. Um, and then if, if we can't, then we can no longer be friends. And then, you know, next, you know, because I have to, my children are here, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be mom. Um, but I just, you know, I think that, you know, just having an open mind and being able to communicate without pointing the finger all the time and just like listening to each other, because I don't know what your thoughts are about, um, about black people, you know, because you, you've not been black and you don't know my thoughts about, cause I've not been white, but we can help each other to understand where we're coming from. You know, I can't. Well, I, yeah, I love that because I feel like as much, like as much as, and I work in uh, several different areas where, you know, racial disparities are just prevalent everywhere. Um, and a lot of these uh, discussions come down to, are you having open conversations? And then I'll have people from the African-American community go, well, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, w people aren't wanting to come to the table to have these conversations. There's already such a guard up. Mm -hmm. So 
even when I've had questions before, I'm like, I am not asking this until I feel safe and like, I'm like that it's not going to be offensive or, but right. I honestly have like a open. So having those open conversation and that open dialogue is really important. And I love how you've done that because you recently posted something that was, you were wearing uh, black girls rock earrings and a white mom came up to you and was like, Hey, you know, love everything you're about kind of. And, yeah. but <laughs> what's up with your earrings? Because like, don't all girls rock? And I loved your response. Um, and it wasn't even one that I was like, uh, necessarily aware of, like, I'm going to let you put language to it, but I loved the language that you put to it. And I think that this is a pretty common thought of white people where it's, isn't it unity? Isn't it everyone matters? And there's this like a little bit of hesitation when it's one individual sector mm -hmm. matter mm -hmm. or rocks or whatever. And where does uni unity fit into that? So I want you to share what you responded because I felt like it was like, oh, this makes total sense and was helpful for me. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, she she was um, she was a fan of the Raising Cultures page. And, you know, she came up and um, she was telling me and, and she she said that I always promote black, you know, um, but you have multiracial children, you know, but you're always promoting black. And I'm like, well, I'm black, you know, <laughs> and and I don't and I can't shave down my blackness because my children are a different race. That's not helpful to them at all. You know, I have to be 100% who I am and then I have to support them and in, in them being 100% who they are, you know, and I don't have to be ashamed of that. I don't have to to dumb that down or hide that or anything like that for my kids to know that I love and respect their whiteness, their biracialness, you know, like we, you know, that's that's how we have to live in society. You know, we have, we are living in our house, how we have to live in society. We have to respect one another in the house. We can't say hurtful things. We can't say, we can't use racial slurs. We can't like, we have to be mindful of the things that we say and the things that we do. Um, and so we can practice that in society, you know? And so she was like, well, I just wouldn't wear, I wouldn't wear that if I was, if I was, and I was like, if you was, so you're not. So that's one, you know, so you can say what you won't do until you're in the situation. Um, but, you know, my, I want my son to know that his mom is black because I am, <laughs> you know, and I and like you said, my husband is a police officer. And so, you know, that whole thing, blue lives matter. And I'm like, yes, my husband is a police officer. Blue lives do matter. But so does black lives. And so, you know, and I and, you know, um, you, we just have to understand that people should be able and feel free to promote their their heritage and their ethnicity without somebody being offended. Um, and I did tell her, I said, well, I wouldn't care if you had earrings on to say white girls rock, you know? And, you know, I got so many inboxes behind that. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, I went that just a lot of white women saying that they wouldn't wear those earrings because they feel like they would be attacked or, and I was like, oh, the Lord, like, well then we still have work to do in society because you guys should be able to, to promote your, whiteness just like I should be able to promote my blackness and it's none of my business how you promote yourself you know as long as you're not like in my face waving a swastika a kkk or so I mean you know like then you're not offending me and I think that people have to 
have to stop being so offended by the things that people promote to encourage themselves and to love themselves because you, you're saying have self-love, but then at the same time, oh, I can't promote myself. Well, then how am I going to have self-love? That's not cool. Yeah, and I think that the, the, the big takeaway there is just because one demographic or one sector rocks or matters is not saying that anybody else doesn't. Right. Absolutely. And I, because I mean, honey, I have, I have a, a white son. And like I said, he rocks. Honey. My, honey, I will have him a shirt on to say white boys rock, white boys swag, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and my biracial children, especially my biracial children. Like my daughter went through this thing where she could, she didn't fit in with the black children. She didn't fit in with the white kids. And I said, well, the thing about it is you have to be yourself and whoever, whoever don't like it, they are not your friends anyway. The ones that do will gravitate towards you and you can promote being biracial. You, you have the beauty to not be either, you know, and then you have the beauty to be both. Like, that's cool. Like you better honey, own all of that on both sides of it. Know who you are. And then people will gravitate toward that. And now, I mean, she's, she's such, you know, in, in such a better place now. And I, you know, and, and I just encourage her to be herself not black, not white, you're both. That's who you are. And so, mm. you know, you have to own that. You have to own that 100%. And so, you know, my daughter, my the my uh, African-American daughter was in uh, African-American study type thing. Or, and she was like the uh, president and she wanted her sister to go and do a march with her. And she was like, I don't want to do it. And so she got mad. And I was like, no, you can't get mad at her for wanting to you know, be with you in the African-American stuff. Maybe she needs to start a biracial one, you know? So we're having these conversations in my household, you know, but we have to be who we are and have to own it 100%. Yeah. So that's um, really interesting. I had a, uh, I had a question to ask you about um, how race plays a role in your household and how do we respect and honor different backgrounds without highlighting differences. But it's really sounding to me like you're okay with highlighting differences. I mean, you're letting, you're allowing everybody to show their individuality and it's, it doesn't need to be, you know, we're all, we're all the same. We're all different. We are all who we are and that's okay. And you can explore that. And um, as a social worker, it's funny, as a social worker, once I was up in Vermont, like super, super white. Right. <laughs> and um I happened to have a black girl on my caseload and she was out in the middle of nowhere, like rural country town, whatever. And so we try to like honor her heritage and like bring her 45 like miles south to um, somebody that can do black hair, like a black hair salon. And like we get her braids or whatever so that like she can feel good. And like she, she was like, I want to like, Rango cow. Like if I wanted to wear her afro. Like she right. didn't care less about braids or her heritage. Like she was being raised on a farm with a white family and she loved the horses and the cows. And there was that's how right. she was. And it was yeah. funny how we were like trying so hard to help her identify with something she didn't really care. Like she she just felt like a kid. Right. Just trying to be a kid. You know, I think that, um, you know, a lot of times because I feel like representation does matter. But the kid, I think they will let you know, you know, you 
you if you have like I have a a, a biracial I have two biracial children I have a, a white child I want to make sure that they're that they see themselves in our house mm-hmm. because I don't know you know you go of course if my white son go out into the world he's going to see himself um you know represented um in movies and books and magazines and you know and all these things but you not you might not see your family represented and I and I think that's where mm-hmm. people get off track like you know he's going to see himself represented but your black child might not see herself like like no that's not necessarily true because his family is is multiracial mm-hmm. so he may not see himself represented as as how he would look at his family and so therefore right. his identity is within our you know he has his identity is within our family and then he has his own identity you know and so i said so i'm working on making sure that that transracial adoptive families are represented because my children are going to look at that when they get older they want mm-hmm. they want to see that representation as well you know so it's not about oh keeping you know they have to be um uh, represented and they have to have their hair done by a black salon or they have to go over here and they well i want them to make sure that first they can see themselves in society and not be judged for the family that they have and then we can move mm. forward with trying to do something else but right now i got to make sure that they're they're feeling that type of representation first how do you approach that in a super rural like if it's an all black community or if it's an all white community how do you approach that like building representation <laughs> in a place where it's just not diverse. Child's not going to see that. Yeah. And see, and that is the part where a lot of um, like families that I've talked to, um, you, this, this is my thought. And I know this is not everybody's thinking, but if you have planned to adopt and you don't have a preference and then you understand, or you know that you're going to be adopting a child of a different race, so that, then at this point, not 50 years ago, not 60 years ago, because we was in a different time, you know. Um, but at this point, you, we know how important representation is. Um, you know, we've recently seen a lot of African-American kids come out saying, you know, they, they don't know, they don't identify with the Black community, and they don't, because what happens is when they um, go out into the world and they're no longer, you know, they go to college and then boom, you're Black. <laughs> But you mm-hmm. live with the white family and you, you know, you were over there and you didn't really see anybody that looked like you and you really don't know. And then you're black in America and it's like, oh, shoot, like what's going on? And, and I've had right. so many emails about that. But we have to understand that, like, I had to make sure that my son, because I, I, I did go to an African-American church. That's not who my family is now. You know, I have to make provision. I have to make sure that we're in a diverse situation. I'm going to have the same God regardless of what church I go to. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it's going to be important for my son to know that, that he's not the eyeball out or the only one. I want to make sure that he sees other people that look like him in our everyday life. So yes, me and my, my uh, husband had to make sure that we went to a church that depicts our family, um, that we live in a neighborhood that's inclusive of, you know, everybody, um, which we luckily we did live in a neighborhood where it was very diverse. 
but sure. but the school, the daycare that he would have gone to that's closer to my house is not. And so I had to make sure that, you know, even though I had to drive an extra 15 minutes out the way, I had to make sure that, you know, he got that diversity because that's important. He's, he has to see his family in society. Mm. I love that. That's really helpful. Cause I think that, I think that there are a lot of people that um, are in rural areas or just very, you know, uh, you know, one race area and um, having representation totally matters. And I hadn't thought about the child that, you know, if they're in rural, you know, back country with a white family, you know, it's all great. But right. When you're now you're going to New York, you're going to a college in New York and you, you are black in America. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to avoid um, the identity crisis that would go along with that. Yeah. It's been, it's been shocking. Like the I've, emails that I've been getting and, you know, and I, and I don't doubt that it would be the same way if it was my white son, even, you know, like he's right, raised sure. in, uh, you know, black all around. And then all of a sudden he goes to a college and it's like, ah, oh, what's going, you know, I think that it's important, you know, from both sides of the spectrum. Um, and he, he may not experience what a black child is going to experience in America, but I still want him to be sound mental and with his own mental health and, you know, and, and not have to have an identity crisis, like he said, you know, later on in life. And so if you are in one of those rural towns or, you know, you don't have uh, books, you know, um, movies, you know, toys, sports, you know, mm-hmm. you know, different things that you, you might have to drive 20 miles out the way, but you know, that's your kid. You have to, Gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So, um, parents that are looking into um, biracial, transracial uh, adoption, what is your big um, your big advice to them? Is there anything besides the representation matters? Like, um, what would you say to somebody thinking about entering into the world that you're in? And would the would the um, advice be different for a white family than it would be for a black family? Um, I would definitely say yes. I would say this, the advice that I would give overall is I always go back. I am a therapist, so y'all know, but I always go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs because when you first get a child, it does not matter what color they are, what color you are. Um, the, they need love. They need those basic needs and anybody can provide that. You know what I'm like? Uh, if, if you loving and supporting them and that attachment and trying to build a bond is no way that you can focus on, okay, well, oh my gosh, they're white and I have to, oh, they're black. Like, no, like we need to make sure that we're getting this bond together, you know? So that's just around, you know, across the board, like, Focus on loving your kid first and focus on getting that attachment and that bond and, and you know, sharing those things um, that, that a mother and a child would share or a father and a child would share and, and getting them acclimated to your family and you learning them. And, and then after that, then, you know, I would say to um, a, a black family that's, that's you know, trying to uh, adopt transracially, be prepared because it's it's not a walk in the park like it's not easy um because if you've never really experienced racism before 
you will experience it if you have a white child in your home. Um, and it's mainly, um, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, mainly like from older, older white people, you know, it's, um, I think that that generations after, you know, that t- that generation, they're totally cool. You know, it's, it's fine. Um, I would say just be prepared, but don't waver because your kids need you. You know, I mean, if those are the kids that God sent to you, then, you know, you be their parent, you know, and, and uh, it's the opposite white families, you know, like I said, just keeping them connected. If you don't know anything about the black community, then try to get to know, or, you know, or if you have a Hispanic child or, you know, whatever, try to keep them connected to their heritage as much as, much as possible because I, they're def, they definitely will appreciate that later on in life. I love that. So, um, Tell me about Raising Cultures. Where are you? I know that you've got a big following. Where are you headed with it? What are your hopes for it? Man, Raising Cultures is awesome. Like, I have never met so many foster and adoptive. Like, that's my cyber family. (laughs) Um, I, like, when I first, when I went on Kelly Clarkson or when we first made the video to announce um, Princeton um, as as a part of our family officially, um, like I would get so much hate mail and, and so much, um, so much spam in my inbox about like, like killing my son, like he's a dog and he needs to be put in a kennel and, you know, like all these things. And I would be so overwhelmed. And the one thing that I have learned about the foster and adoptive community is that they stick together, black, white, honey, <laughs> it does not matter. <laughs> and I had a conversation with a friend the other day and they was like, I just don't think that that white moms get it, that the black, I was like, honey, no, no, because they do. Like if you are a white parent to a black child, you, you have those same fears that I would have as a black mother to a black child. Like, okay, well, my son is going to be driving or my, like I can identify with that mother with that. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not gonna take away just because she's white, she don't have those same fears for her son. Like I'm not gonna do that. Um, but I've learned that, you know, um, that like I said, it's it's such a, a loving community, the platform that we've set up to where people can feel free to come on and just ask these hard questions or, you know, without judgment. That's the part that I want people to understand. Like I like zero tolerance for judgment. Like I would block you. I would delete you. Um, like I, because we're trying to move forward and I can't move forward if you're going to continue to hate and not, you know, and it's okay to ask a question. Like sometimes people, if when I first started the page, they was like, why would you ask? Why would you ask that? Why would you say that? And I'm like, because it needs to be discussed, you know? Um, and so now it's a platform where I, I see a lot of like side conversations going on about race and, and then they work it out themselves. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's so wonderful. Um, and then you, they're not, I've heard a lot of people like, I've, I've never been able to ask this question and it, you know, mm-hmm. I got it from you or got it from another cyber sister or brother. And I was just like, so thankful, you know, a, a hair question or, you know, a, a, a question about dark skin versus light skin. I mean, like anything, like we talk about everything at the end of the day. If you, if anybody's on race and cultures, they see how transparent my family is. <laughs> and, you know, we talk about stuff and at the end of the day, we still are family. And that's how I treat raising cultures. We can talk about it. We can fall out. And then at the end of the day, I'm still gonna be like, I love (laughs) y'all, you know, and that's, I think it's good to have that type of community because it just takes a lot of stressor off you as a parent 
and it's just a no judgment zone. Yeah, I mean, I think that we need it in a lot of areas right now, just a safe space a safe for space. us to talk about race. Yeah. Um, because it really feels like it's like there's no stupid questions because as, as far off as somebody might be, if they're vulnerable enough to ask the questions. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm open and I always say that, like, I don't get offended easily. Um, you know, I try to I try to put myself as a therapist, like I've, I always try to put myself on the other side of my desk. Like I'm like, I can be in anybody's situation in an instant. One thing happened to my kid and I'm like, oh, you know, falling all <laughs> out. Um, and I try to just be mindful that we don't walk in each other's shoes. And so you don't know what I struggle with unless you ask and you might get it wrong. And then I just have to say, no, it's, this is how it's, it is. And, you know, it's not that, you know, you're not going to admit like, oh, I was wrong because I've seen that on Raising Cultures too. Like people, oh, I was wrong. I, I, I was thinking this, but I was wrong about it. And then people are like, oh, okay, no problem. Let's just move on with that, you know. Um, and that's, that's what it's all about. Like us coming to a, 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 an agreement that it is what it is. I asked the question. I got what I needed. And now I can move on, you know, and, and feel like, who, you know, I don't have to worry about being judged or being looked at a certain way or being cussed out or, you know, um, because well, yeah. And like, and the different level, the different community members jumping in and saying their experience, because it's not, we don't get to wrap this up in a pretty bow. Right. We don't get to say like, this is the black experience. This is the white experience. This is what a white child in a black family's experience. Like, Everybody at the end of the day is an individual. Mm -hmm. There's big systemic things that add to that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people can have the same experience, but, but also everybody's um, experiences together is really what's helpful so that people mm -hmm. can glean insight. What it's like for somebody in Detroit versus somebody in, you know, rural Oregon, exactly. you know, it's right. It's different. It is different. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, where can we find you and how can we support your cause? Yeah. So, you know, I, we're on Facebook at Raising Cultures on um, Instagram, Raising Cultures as well. We are uh, in the process of getting our YouTube channel together. Um, I don't know. My daughter's tiny want to do something with some YouTube. So <laughs> we're in the process of working on that, but it is Raising Cultures as well. Um, and I am also in the process of doing um, conversation starters for transracial um, adoptive families that's looking to adopt transracially. Um, and I've started to do some consulting work as well for transracially adopted or, you know, parents looking to be um, adoptive parents or foster parents as well. So it's a lot of things coming up with Raising Cultures. You know, if anything, I would just say, follow the page and engage in the conversation, you know, share it. Um, because I think that the more it's seen, then the less, you know, like, Oh, stereotypical or less, you know, all these things, um, negativity, the less negativity we'll get. Yeah. And you know, do you welcome everyone to your page? Cause I'm thinking like, uh, with the stable moments program, I train, providers to offer services to foster adopted kids. So I'm like, you know, providers need to be given this offer or given this 
information, this experience. Yeah. Uh, social workers that are working with these families need to understand these um, certain experiences. So do you, you invite everyone, not just yeah. foster adoptive parents? Yes, because um, we have, I have seen where a lot of people come in and social workers are there, um, uh, adoptive parents that, that are not transracially adoptive, you know, um, I, foster parents or biological parents, because I mean, these are kids now. We, we, <laughs> we are parents at the end of the day. It's parenthood at the end of the day, you know? Um, so, and I was like, it don't matter if they, what, what race the child is, they still going to act up in Walmart, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, they're still going to have a tantrum. I mean, so the, some things are shared. It's just parents, you know? Right. Um, and you know, the cool thing about my page is you don't just see you know my family and we're just doing videos and like i'm not doing uh reviews and i like yeah like we got bigger fish to fry <laughs> we might do a review later on in life whatever but right now you know like we have bigger fish to fry um and we're yes you, you're gonna see our videos and cute pictures and all of that but the, the meat and potatoes of what raising cultures is is people sending me questions and I put it out there or I get something that happens in the middle of the day and I put it out there and then social workers will come in. I've had professors comment. You know, I have all these people commenting, doctors, lawyers, like they're giving, giving like shoot free advice, honey, you know, <laughs> you know free advice on here, you know, how you can kind of navigate and everybody has been so open and their answers have been, you know, so respectful and, you know, caring and, you know, you're always going to have those one or two that's not going to agree with your movement. And then, you know, we just kind of moved them right on out the way and, you know, make them go soak <laughs> in a corner somewhere. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, it is a community of, of resources. I like to say resources because, you know, it's, it's everybody's on here and we're all just trying to get, get some understanding. Beautiful. Well, if you're listening and you definitely follow if you're listening, but if you're a provider and I think that you should follow, if you have a question, post your question. Um, but if you have families that you serve, make sure your families know, put Raising Cultures on your website so that families can be directed to them so that they don't feel so alone in their journey and that they do know that there's a very safe place to ask some of these tough questions. And I know um, Kia and I don't want anyone to ever be sitting at home feeling like they are alone in their journey. Amen. That is so true. Yes. Well, thank you so oh, much God, for taking this time. You. I'm going to keep watching Boozy in your family yes, and everybody. <laughs> I love the videos. I love the lives that you do. So thank you so much for your work. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys, I hope that was as refreshing and enlightening for you as it was for me. I loved having that conversation and I really feel like it was a privilege to sit down with Kia. I know she's super busy and I cannot promote it enough. Go like her page, Raising Cultures, and tell everyone you know about it. There were some key takeaways from our conversation that I just wanted to hit you with here at the end. One, start having tough conversations. Find a space where you can ask what you need to ask about tough issues like racism so we can work toward being a more understanding and unified community. Number two, be proud of who you are. It's not about all being the same. It's about honoring everyone's individuality and identity. People should be able to promote their heritage and ethnicity without people being offended. 
Stop taking someone else's self-love as a personal attack on you. Just because someone promotes their identity doesn't take anything away from your identity. Number three, representation matters. If you foster or adopt a child from a different race, be prepared to make sure your kids see themselves in the world around them. Switch up your routine, childcare, church family to better represent the family that you have. And finally, number four, love comes first. If you accept a child of a different race into your home, focus on loving them and building an attachment first. Take some time to have them acclimate to your family. Then be prepared to handle the racial issues that do come up. I hope you guys love this. If you did like it, please do a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.